everyone, and welcome to the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. I am your host, Kat Cloco. Tonight with me, I have Christina Wald and Jen Kohler and special guest, Monica. Also tonight on the show, we are talking about the Loveland Frogman, who is known as the Boba Fett of the cryptid world because he's everywhere, even though he has a very short story. We also have Liz Carmen of the No Theater in Cincinnati talking about a brand new performance that they have going on. This is Haunted by Joseph Zettelmeyer. It's known as The Best Way to Know a Place is Through Its Ghosts. This is a script inspired by real-life paranormal experiences from around the Midwest, featuring ghost stories from the zany to the chilling. And, of course, the interview of me and Tim Fuller talking about the Loveland Frogman. But for now, to start off the show, we have our friend Monica. Welcome, Monica, to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So you are a trained medium. I am. But I am. What got you interested in not just you had your gifts because I've talked to a lot of mediums but improving upon them well it's like when you start hearing people calling your name you know there's something there you know there's nobody behind you there's nobody in front of you why are you talking to me who's talking is this where I go schizophrenic so uh you know recalling family stories of um my grandmother my mother's mother and my mother, who has had also had some gifts, um, I thought, well, maybe, you know, one spring after I moved here, uh, about four months after I moved here, was something called the uh, Victory of Light. Mm. And it, it kind of, I said, I've got to go to this. I've got to check this out. So I just wandered around, just checking it all out and going, you know, kind of skeptical and looking at all these people and thinking, um, gee, this is, this is interesting and a lot of good people. And I uh, was drawn to this one table and this one venue. And uh, uh, a woman walked up to me and said, would you like a reading? I have an opening. I said, oh, okay, sure. And I signed up and I sat down and she said to me after she said her opening and went on, she said, uh, I'm being told that you belong in this side of the chair. Oh. Said, Sorry, who? <laughs> you know, deer in the headlights. Right. And she said, no, she says, somebody, a spirit is telling me that you belong on this side of the chair, that you have gifts that uh, you need to tap and you're not using your potential. I said, I bet you tell that to every girl. And she said, no, she said, she said, I bet you do have gifts. She says, and I'm, uh, I'm willing to bet if you just come to one of my sessions, you'll find out. So I signed up. I went to one of their open sessions and realized that there is something to this and that um, suddenly everything was released. It was like releasing a genie from a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me feel calmer about things. I, I don't normally, you know, it, it sounds kind of corny to say that you go off to a victory of light, find, find a teacher and, and uh, stick with them. But I did, and I stuck with them for three years, two or three years, uh, going through their mastership program. And, um, and I wanted to understand more about why this is and that some people have more of an ability than others, but we all have abilities. Um, you know, your intuition to play the lottery on a Saturday night may pan out. So, but if you, and you think it's just luck, but luck is intuition and ESP is that as well. So that's what brought me to it. And I felt at home 
I suddenly found a home. So it's like finding your tribe. Mm. I found mine. Yeah, the, the world suddenly seems a little less chaotic when you mm -hmm. get in that vibe. And you're just like, instead of looking at the world on a angle, suddenly it all shifts into focus better. Right, right. And, you know, I took for granted all these family stories of ghosts mm -hmm. and spirits and uh, chasings, people being chased by spirits. I just took them as fact. I never blinked an eye that, that they could be anything other than. Mm -hmm. So um, what it was interesting to run into other people who had the same experiences and shared those. Yeah, and, suddenly you don't feel as crazy. No, you don't. You feel like this is, this is where I belong. This is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that cleared a lot of things up for me. And I understood myself and how to put up barriers um, yeah. and welcome them in, set them aside, that sort of thing. You know, put, Get put them the less overwhelming so they're not all talking to you at the same time. Right. They, they don't all talk to me at once. It's just one at a time, gratefully. <laughs> that is good. I am not like the Long Island medium. Let me oh. tell you. <laughs> no one else is like the Long Island medium. Mm. <laughs> she is a unique one. <laughs> yeah. True. Do you guys have any questions first? Christina, well, I, well, Jen. Well, one thing I was thinking about was you said you dressed as the Long Island meal, uh, medium I once. I did. For... I was going to refer to that. I didn't know if I should jump into that. No, but... I love that story. Uh, she had told me, uh, you go ahead and tell it. I, I had been invited. I, you know, I'd been invited to a, a uh, Halloween party down the street by a neighbor I kind of knew. And uh, he said, oh, it's going to be fun and, and you'll meet some more neighbors. And so Cindy and I went off. And I said, well, I think I'm going to go as the Long Island medium. And I put the nails on and I had a, a fur vest that I found at the Goodwill. And I, you know, I, I found a blonde wig, <laughs> dabbed on a little makeup and I went off and I tried my best to put on a Long Island accent. And, <laughs> and um, I forget Cindy, what Cindy went as, but we, we ended up down there and I ended up sitting on the couch with the host's mom. And she's an elderly lady. And I said something to her like, she says, oh, who are you supposed to be? I said, oh, darling, I'm the Long Island medium. <laughs> <laughs> the dad talked to me. <laughs> A little Bronx in there too. And she, she said, I love the Long Island medium. She says, are you going to tell, uh, tell me um, a little bit? Of, can you tell me if, I, if my husband is around? And I said, he's always around you. I said jokingly. And then I, and then something went smack up the side of the head. And I said, yes, indeed, he's here. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? I said, well, he wants me to tell you that he, 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 she said, well, wait, she said, he never seems to come to me when I want, I want to talk to him and I just never get a chance. I said, well, you may get your chance tonight. I said, well, right now he's busy. He said he's playing baseball with the angels hmm. and they're winning. But he, he decided to come over and say hi to you. And that he's always checking in on you. And then I gave her another tell. I think it had to do with what she left on the bedside. And I also told her her husband's name. And she, she, she went pale. And um, I said, and I think he passed away. And I gave her the death, what I assumed was the death date. And this was all started out as a joke, but ended up the evening as 
true. Hmm. And she said, you're remarkable. And I was like, oh, well, darling, thank you very much. I wandered <laughs> off and I went, did I just do that? <laughs> but, you know, that was right before I started taking these classes. And um, uh, I told Cynthia about it. She says, well, you know, it is October. Spirits are about. I said, that's true. You can't, you can't discount that. So I just let it go. But that was my first time ever doing that. And I just felt, I felt, you know, ridiculous and not stupid that I had let that, you know, I could have really, really done a better job if I'd known what I was doing. So how do you hone your skills? Like, how do you learn to it's do control. it better, I guess? Well, it's all about being more aware of your feelings. I think um, a lot of it has to do with how I feel in the moment um, as it was with that woman and sitting down next to her, it was almost an immediate connection. Mm-hmm. And there was some, like I said, a smack upside of the head because mm-hmm. he was there and he made his presence known right away. So it's, it's something like that. I can't, describe it any other way than just a feeling so if I walk up to someone I may say something about oh I'm sorry you're you know this happened this happened a while ago I was in in a group we were talking about something we were studying and I walked up to this person I said oh you you're walking with a limp I think you I think that you have pain and I took my finger and I just pointed it at um I said, I may have to touch you. I said, but it's, it's, it seems like it's generating right here. And I just pointed at her, at her hip and she, she yelped. And I said, and, and the, the, the instructor said, did you touch her? I said, no, I just pointed at her and said, it looks like it hurts over here. And she yelped and she said, that's a good connection. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, her, her hip wasn't bothering her. So I must've really, I attributed it to something like, Mm, that must have been acupressure from a distance. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Reiki, like unintended yeah. Reiki. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it was it was a, a unique experience. That's one I've never had since then. But that's that's kind of what happens. It's an experience. You don't you don't know when it's, it may happen. It's it's also uh, for me. It's all about calming down the um, the uh, chatterbox comic. I call myself. <laughs> I think Christina knows what I mean, but if I calm myself down and just just get calm inward mm-hmm. and pass it outward, um, I can really bring it in. I can I can almost feel it just wafting through me, and wow. I have to. I sometimes have to work at that. So that's why meditation comes into play with a lot of people, and we often pray, we meditate, we you know, make sounds while we meditate, like ohm, and then it's just repeating. It's very calming. That's why the rosary is a good thing, because it's a repetitive thing. You're repeating, you're repeating the same prayer over and over again. And is that how you keep them from overwhelming you? Yeah, yeah. I can, I can walk away from it. Um, I'm not overwhelmed by spirits. Okay. Spirit. Um, Sometimes I will say, okay, spirit, what do I have to do now? (laughs) 
I say, um, but I usually, I usually start my day by saying, uh, I open my day by saying, well, let there be a moment when I can help at least one person today. Sure. And um, that's my, that's my, my opening with spirit is to tell me when there's a time I can help someone. And quite often it's, it's more than one, but you know, it's just how it is. It's almost like, um, <laughs> it's almost like studying to be a nun. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you kind of have to go through your <clears throat> your gamut of of rigorous prayer and study in order to really um, take on seriously your 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 load, your mm-hmm. you know, what you're feeling, and 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 work with it. It's always working through. You're always working through something. So, uh, if you find yourself thinking of someone, likely as not they probably need you or you can call them, right? Oh, I was just thinking about you today. And you happen to find them in a low moment. Well, that's, that's you helping them out. You were told by spirit to do that. Um, it was a suggestion and you took it. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. That sort of thing happens to a lot of people. Yeah. What about dream? Oh, like if you dream of a deceased loved one, like. Then they're probably there telling you something. Hmm. There's a reason for them telling you something or being there. They don't just come willy-nilly. And this time of year, if I might add, October, November, this is the best time of year because this is the thinnest veil between the planes. And the spirits can pass through more freely to you and I. And that's why the Day of the Dead is so important to Indians, Mm -hmm. Native Americans, uh, especially in Mexico, because that's the day that um, spirits come down or come back from the dead and and partake of the food that's being left for them and at the gravesite or or such or or they sing the special songs that these people liked and it yeah. soothes them it makes them feel like they're still part of that family mm-hmm. have you and noticed that- an uptick in sort of since everybody's kind of locked down due to the pandemic have you noticed sort of an uptick in activity like are people more anxious like are you seeing more or is it I'm feeling more of it, um, and I'm feeling like I was like I, as I was saying earlier, the the need to call people came up early in pandemic, and I would call three people almost every week, once a week, to check on them. There was a reason, and 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 I had no reason. And oh, you caught me at a really thanks for calling. I'm just really anxious. And I'm going, you know, there's nothing to be anxious about as long as you do what they're saying and stay home, you know, and don't go out or wear a mask. And that's kind of how I helped these three people. And because I was never really, I was never really thinking of calling them until one day early in the pandemic, I had a feeling I needed to call this one person. And uh, she was walking down the street and she said, she was thinking about whether she should be home instead of walking down the street to deliver something to her son. And uh, I said, well, I was just calling up to check and see how you were doing. And, and I thought maybe, uh, she says, you always make me laugh. Now that's, I hear that a lot. And I said, well, that's good because that's my gift. I make people laugh, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the jokester in the family. I'm the youngest in the family. I'm the jokester in the family. I do all sorts of stupid stuff to my family. <laughs> and I, I pull a lot of shit on my friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you freak them out sometimes, like with, I don't know, just to kind of get their goat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, that would be kind of fun. (laughs) No, I know my limits. I don't want to mess with that because that's crossing into spirit territory. And I want to, uh-uh. It's opening up a can of worms. Yes, and spirit can kick back hard. <laughs> yes, it can. So yes, you- are most of your experiences positive? Do you have any experience with like kind of like darker things or? Um, I have feelings when I feel, when I see people, if, if I'm around someone, even if it's in a crowd, I can feel, I sense that there's something dark about them. And um, in a sense, I, I kind of block the dark with a prayer if I'm to if they approach me in order to protect myself um I don't I don't necessarily encounter dark spirits often but darkness around their souls um perhaps um people who are feeling a little out of sorts that that have um are possibly just lonely is all it is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, sometimes being alone just drives you nuts. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a lot of that through pandemic now. And, yeah. and that's, that's mostly what it is. It's the darkness of the soul overtakes them. And you, the, what, what I do is that when I come home, I may keep them in prayer mm-hmm. or I may meditate on them and imagine them um, walking into a doorway that's filled with light. As sort of like a car wash, you know. So they walk through that doorway, and they get those little brushes going, and yeah. that little bit of darkness will walk away from them, and they might feel better. Okay. So that's kind of mm-hmm. that's a little would, bit about how I've developed it. Would you say yeah. you're a bit empathic then? I am an empath. Yeah, yeah. And do you use spirit guides? <laughs> yes, I have one. I have one that came on early in my training and I, I, I said, well, what's his name? And I said, his name's Patron. I said, like, like the, like the tequila. <laughs> I like that. Not a bad name. <laughs> they said, well, is he, is he comatose or is he sober tonight? Said, well, he's feeling pretty sober. So maybe we can use him in, in readings, you know, he's okay. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned that I kind of have to keep him under control till we talk to each other and I have to keep under control. I have an Indian guide that I use. It's a chief uh, that has come around and told me that I was with them a while ago, many, many, many years ago in another life. And I probably believe that I'm 57% Indian, but like every other American, I'm also, you know, I'm Heinz 57 Mexican is what I am. Um, um, yeah, guides play a big part in it. And we all probably have our guides. As children, if you're Catholic, you're taught that you have a guardian angel. And your guardian angel sits on your shoulder, always protecting you, always directing you, and enabling you to make the right choices, hoping you'll make the right choices. <clears throat> and that's kind of what spirit guides are. They're just uh, like angels that, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting my finger. Oh, She's gone. She hung up on, on a... No, she... She's still here. We'll get her back. She's still okay, here. They actually turned off the camera. Okay. Just turn your camera. <laughs> I hear you, Monica, yeah. but we need to see you. There we go. Come to be company. 
I feel we're coming back. There is. Like, <laughs> we, we need to wrap it up. So I'm going to do, uh, you had said you often see people's pets like around them. So uh, they do. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, my, huh? They see mine. Oh, okay. So, so I wanted to know if you, you saw any pets around us. Well, I did see some uh, dark movement behind your chair. My chair? Your chair. It was, uh, it was a little ball that went by just zippity doo dah, and I thought maybe it was one of the cats in your house. But there was one that went up the stairs behind you uh, early. And I thought, well, it's, it's a small cat, but then you know you can see through it. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. Um, <laughs> there's that one. Um, and there's a dog around the house. Our house? And yes, there's a dog around your house. And there's a dog around your house for a reason. The dog is also like a protector. Oh, and wow. that dog has been there for a while. I think this dog has been on the property before. Mm -hmm. So you have a dog that guards your house. There were the people that lived here before had three dogs. So oh, oh, we've wow. never had a dog, but they, they did have dogs. Well, there so. may be one that really liked this house and decided to stay in like you and to protect. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, we always say we have a poltergeist, so you never know. Maybe uh, it's just a dog tail that you're encountering. Dog, and things fall off the table. It's the tail. Hmm. Yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh. they're you still see? they're still surfing. They're still they like to counter surf. Uh huh. Uh huh. Do you yeah. see anything uh, with cat or with Jen? Oh, let me look at cat. Where's cat? Cat. Hello. Cat. There she is. It's me. Well, you've got a good you've got good color. It has nothing to do with your hair. Oh, but I was got about to say I work really hard on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you've got a great color, and you you exude an enormous amount of energy. Um, and if you were to use that energy, you could feel that energy if you wanted to put it up against your face sometimes. If you feel like you've got like high energy, take that energy and put it up here against your face and use that energy to relax you, relax your face, especially at night. I don't, norm I don't normally say that, but, but just at night around you, you seem to need a little bit more sleep from the feeling I'm getting. <laughs> You restless, You're not wrong. <laughs> you restless angel, you. <laughs> but it'll just be our secret. Okay. Okay. So, um, but I do not, you know, if there, if I'm going to see anything, there is a bird around you. Um, oh, there is a little bird that is sitting on the shelf of your, right behind you. Um, yeah, right back there. Uh, now I don't know if this is a, a current bird, a, a, a former bird, or a visiting bird. But this is a small bird, uh, and it's not nervous at all about you, and it likes cuddling with you at night. So oh. careful. Um, I'm, sometimes these are dream angels, dream spirits. Uh, animals come as dream spirits and um, take many forms. Yours happens to be a bird. Okay, that sounds nice. I like that. You're welcome. Thank you. Blessings. Okay, who's next? Jen. Jen. Hi. <laughs> Jen, you've got a dog. There's really? an old basset hound around you, and he's a slobbering idiot. So if I were you, I'd carry, I'd be careful where you step. Okay. <laughs> he is so lovable, and he just lives for you. Aww. He's the kind of dog that wraps themselves, you know, they're so, they're so foldy skin. They kind of wrap their little skins around your feet and keep you warm at night. That's kind Aww. of how basset hounds the lovable sort and you've also got a cat that is sits on your chair 
the one you're rocking in right now contains a cat, a small one, a little small one, but just likes to sit there, play with your hair. I don't know if you ever feel a tugging at your, at your leg, at your pants leg, that would be your cat. Okay. Your feet get warm, it's the dog. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. Really you can cool. never have too many kitties and puppies. Yeah, <laughs> nope. No, I've got three dogs. They're all keeping me warm. <laughs> but oh, they're wonderful. Been, that's been really yeah. cool. I, I think we'll probably have you on again sometime, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. It was fun talking to you, and I hope you all have a grand Halloween. And may the spirits be blessing you always. Take care of yourselves and um, watch where you walk. <laughs> Good advice for life. Yeah, yeah that is yeah. good advice. Watch where you walk. <laughs> oh, this has been really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank well, thank you. you very much for having me, and I hope to see you all again soon. Yes, yeah, so I hope to. Thanks, Monica. Yeah, thank, thank you, Monica. Monica. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Liz, and I'm the communications manager for the No Theater of Cincinnati. One of the ways No Theater has pivoted our programming during the pandemic has been to produce brand new audio plays under our label Radio No Audio Plays To Go. It's one way we're still pursuing bold and exciting art, even while the live events industry is shut down. We've built up an awesome little library of full-length audio dramas all available for purchase on our website. They cover a huge range of genres. Historical fiction, family drama, doomsday cult comedy, and so much more. And each one costs you just $5 to download. This month, just in time for Halloween, Radio No is celebrating spooky season with Haunted, the Great Lakes Ghost Project. A few years ago, playwright Joseph Zettelmeyer, a lifelong Midwesterner, invited the public to share with him their real-life stories of ghost sightings and other paranormal encounters from around the Midwest. Haunted is the play that arose from these true tales of ghostly experiences. From the zany, to the mysterious, to the genuinely chilling, Haunted is an exploration of the things that stay with you, that haunt you. I've brought a little taste of the play with me. Haunted is really a love letter to Halloween, the Midwest, and all things ghostly, so I'm going to take you now to a campfire somewhere in the Michigan woods. For the full audio play, you can visit notheater.com slash radio no. That's no, K-N-A-W, theater, theater with an R-E, dot com slash radio no. And now, here's a clip from Haunted, The Great Lakes Ghost Project, by Joseph Zettelmeyer. I didn't share these stories to tell you ghosts exist. I don't know if they do, and I don't know if they don't. The things that creep in the night. Maybe they're just campfire stories. They scare, but they thrill, too. Or maybe those moments when you feel like there's something there, something you can't quite see. You might not be as alone as you think. So we light fires to chase away the shadows, and hopefully the things hiding in those shadows. It's October, and the Great Lakes do October very, very well. We celebrate the harvest with cider and hay rides. 
Corn mazes and horror movies. Masks and costumes and trick-or-treating. And we gather around our bonfires, huddled close for warmth. Maybe there's s'mores. It's October in the Midwest, and there's nothing else like it. It has a magic all its own. You can smell it in the air and hear it in the wind. We celebrate it in a million different ways. But when we gather around the fire... I was 18 when I saw it. I was 12. 25 when I saw it. Just a girl. No bigger than this. There are always ghost stories. Welcome, everyone, to the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. I am your host, Kat Cloco. Tonight, we have Tim Fuller here. He is the artist of our Loveland Frogman segment. And recording in the shadows is our producer, Christina Wald. Everyone can wave at her. She will not wave back. Uh, <laughs> I am the editor of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, and I'm excited to have the Loveland Frogman to introduce to the world, or maybe you already know him because he's already nationally known and maybe internationally known from some of the gashapong that I've gotten in Japan. Um, Tim did a piece about the Loveland Frogman. He is a, well, Tim is much beloved, but also is the Loveland Frogman. He's a much beloved character here in the Cincinnati Tri-State area. Now, first, I want to give a little bit of the history of our cozy cryptid, the Loveland Frogman. One night in May of 1955, a businessman traveling home spotted what looked like three four-foot-tall frogmen standing under a bridge crossing the Little Miami River. One of the frogmen lifted up a wand that illuminated sparks, which scared off the man. In March of 1973, a Loveland police officer, Ray Shockey, was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory and the Little Miami River when an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. The animal was fully illuminated in his vehicle's headlights and was described to be three to four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. <laughs> he reported spotting the animal crouched like a frog before it momentarily stood erect and climbed over the guardrail and back down towards the riverbank. Two weeks after that incident, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched under the road in the same vicinity as Shockey's sighting. Matthews shot the animal, recovered the body, and put it in his trunk to show the officer. According to Matthews, it was a large iguana, about 3 to, or 3.5 feet long, and he didn't immediately recognize it because it was missing its tail. It was speculated that the iguana had been someone's pet that either got loose or was released when it grew too large. According to Matthews, Shockey was shown the dead iguana and it confirmed it was the animal he had seen two weeks previously. The Loveland Frogman was spotted yet again in August of 2016 when a teenage couple playing Pokemon Go between Loveland Madeira Road and Lake Isabella claimed to see a giant frog near the lake on August 3rd. It stood up and walked on its hind legs, they claimed. Artist Tim Fuller takes a humorous look at the Loveland's 
at Loveland's favorite cryptid for his entry into the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Comics Anthology. Welcome, Tim Fuller, to our show. It's great to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great to see you too. Um, so tell us about your piece. It, I love it. It is like a Sunday comic strip, but about the Loveland Frogman on a date. I fell in love with the Loveland Frogman story. I think it's just, it's a great thing. I've had a, a long uh, interest in uh, cryptid sightings and the like. Uh, and when I read the Loveland Frogman story, I thought it, it was so much fun. There was so much there. I wanted to do a longer piece with it, but I, I knew I had some time constraints and uh, chose to do instead sort of a, a gag strip with the mm -hmm. Loveland My work is all primarily humorous uh, anyway, so it would have been out of my comfort zone to do like a dramatic reenactment of this. I thought it was more fun to... Uh, to approach it humorously. No, I love it. The, the Loveland Frog's looking over my shoulder here. Yeah, he is. We give okay. him more credit. <laughs> but I, I love the piece. Now, did you draw this digitally or is it done by hand? That one is 100% digital. I usually start out in pencil and, and you know rough things out first and then it goes into the computer. Uh, in this case, I, I did all my pencils, everything uh, straight into the computer, other than just some preliminary sketches to, you know, uh, try different looks with the character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I, I just love it. Now, did you grow up with the Loveland Frogman around, or where did you learn about him? I grew up in Portsmouth, Ohio, which is about two hours upriver from Cincinnati. So it's, it's okay. right in the Ohio River uh, Valley. And um, I was in high school during the early 70s. And UFO followder, followers and paranormal uh, um, people know that uh, the Ohio River Valley was legendary from about 1965 to about 1975. There was all sorts of activity. Mm -hmm. UFO sightings, uh, cryptid encounters, uh, hauntings, just and, and I grew up hearing all of these stories. Uh, I looked up, uh, before we started talking, I looked up some of the very haunted uh, places in Portsmouth. And uh, it turns out I've, I've been to almost all of them. Oh, wow. Uh, but I can't say, I don't have a story. I can't say I've ever had an encounter in any of these places that were supposed to be uh, so haunted, other, other than my own house. I grew oh. up in a house that had... Uh, a restless presence in it that was always sort of making itself known or, or you know, kind of intruding on us. And um, I didn't go out looking for, for other spooky things. I had enough on my hands uh, right at home. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to go more about your hometown haunting right now or save that for a little bit later. But I'm, cur oh, I'm curious now, though, now that you brought it up, what happened around your house? I never actually saw anything like an apparition or a shadow person or anything like that. But as a, as a young child, there were just places in the house. It was a, kind of a large rambling old house. There were places in the house that I was just terrified to go in. Mm -hmm. uh, they just scared me no end. 
And I just thought it was just part of being a, you know, a scary kid. And, and you know, I, I accepted it as that. And there were parts of the house I just avoided. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly the basement. There was uh, just a semi-finished basement with about three rooms uh, down there, including one room that had originally been a, a, a coal room. They must have had a coal furnace at some time. Mm-hmm. And they had this long, narrow room with a window at the end of it and a sloped wall so they would pour the coal in and it would just tumble into the room and stoke the furnace. Um, Anytime I went in the basement, no matter what kind of mood I was in, my mood immediately changed. It was oppressive. It was, it was hard to breathe there. It just, you always felt like you were being watched. And like I said, as a kid, I just kind of passed it off as, you know, just kind of a spooky old house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I inherited the house as an adult and moved back in after college and come to find out uh, and the, the same feelings that I had in different parts of the house I had in the, as an adult. My mood would completely change mm-hmm. uh, when I uh, went to the basement or the attic or you know, there were several other places that seemed kind of uh, uh, off. But I made the mistake of trying to set up my art studio in the basement in that coal room because it was so unique. It was just a long, thin room with shelves all, all down one side. And I would try and paint there uh, late at night. And I had my back to the door. And I was always turning around because I felt like oh, there was God. someone there. There was someone watching me. And I didn't last very long in that studio. I moved it back up to the first floor after that. Yeah. Yeah, that, no, I've been, I, I lived in a haunted house. I know exactly that oppressive feeling that you're describing. I don't know how you could work down there for 10 minutes. Yeah, it, it was just too much. And then I began to notice, I, I, I had grown up with a cat. We, we had never wanted to get a dog, I guess, I don't know. Um, but as an adult, that's the first thing I went out and got was a dog. And uh, she, you know, lived there and, and I'd play with her and we'd be in different rooms her demeanor would change very suddenly. Like she would be sitting in front of me, being patted, talked to, all of a sudden she would look straight up at the ceiling, terrified and out of the room she would go. And this happened over and over and over again. As if she was seeing something that I couldn't see. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's creepy. And so you eventually moved to Cincinnati. You're not in Cincinnati. You're in Northern Kentucky. I'm in Northern Kentucky, close enough to Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah Cincinnati. But yeah, yeah I, I finally sold that house. Uh, it, it just got to the point that uh, it wasn't fun to live there. And no sooner had I sold it and you know, the deal was all done and I was moved out, uh, a friend's dad told me that an old woman had hung herself in the coal room. Didn't seem to know when, but... Why did they tell you earlier? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd, know, I'd known this family forever. I grew up with these people. And, you know, why they didn't think to mention this to me <laughs> before that, I don't know. I guess he thought, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't do any harm with the information once yeah. I... Yeah. That just creepy out more. a lot. Oh, wow. Wow. So... Getting back to the Loveland Frogman, um, what inspired you? I know you do com- comical stuff, but the subject matter is the Frogman on a date. What inspired you to come up with that topic? I'm trying to think if the 
title came first or the punchline came first? It's kind of a corny joke. I mean, it's a, it's a fly in the soup gag. Mm -hmm. It's with these characters. And the title is Froggy Went a Court. <laughs> so I, I think really the first gag that I got for it is, is the first part of the date where, where Frog, Frogman meets the uh, human girl that's come on the date and met him at the restaurant is that neither one of their uh, Tinder photos look at all like him. Mm -hmm. Frogman has used a picture of Mi Michigan J. Frog from the Looney Tunes cartoons, the singing frog, and she's used a picture of Jessica Rabbit as her mm -hmm. profile picture. So that was that was the first gag in the strip, and the rest it it just kind of wrote itself. It was just an exercise in silliness. Yeah, and I love it. it it's. I like how this anthology is really meant for everyone to enjoy. Like it's not hardcore slasher horror. We have it, we run the gamut from the penny dreadful type stories to your Sunday strip type stories to Rodney's um Twilight Zone-esque story with the uh, Loveland Castle. And I I love how every single one of these stories has been different. And uh, I like I like yours. Um, let's see. Well, so you're on. Thank you so much. Uh, it, it's a great anthology. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to read the whole thing because the bits and pieces that I've seen are just tremendous. Yeah, everyone has done really good work, which brings to the question, you are also our art director of the project. So um, what has that been like putting the project together? You're really putting the skeleton of the anthology together. It's a part of doing comics that I enjoy. I was a graphic designer for most of my professional career. And uh, I enjoy using my design skills. A lot of times when I'm writing and drawing the comics, that doesn't come into play. But I always look forward to designing the package that it, it goes in. And this in this case, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And you're a wizard at that. That's, that's stuff I've never even little concept I can't do it so it's, I just sit here I'm like wow you're so talented you know everything Tim <laughs> it's, um, it's a, a long and, and infamous career is, is <laughs> and for those who are also artists that are tuning in you did this digitally what did you use to create it like what programs were you using I think I worked well, first I worked in Clip Studio. That was mm -hmm. all the penciling and the inking and, and that. I, I kind of work across the board. I use a lot of different programs. I eventually got it into Photoshop for all the tonal work and there's a lot of texture and, and kind of, you know, uh, zippy stuff going on in there. And then I think all the lettering was done in uh, Illustrator. I, I like how clean Illustrator is with that kind of work. And yeah. then it was all imported and kind of composited in Photoshop. Hmm, really nice. Well, I think since you already shared your ghost story, do you have anything else you'd like to comment about the anthology project? Well, um, just how, how exciting it's been to see this all come together seeing all these different artists step up and really kind of bring their A-game to this. And I think the, uh, the book is going to look fantastic when yeah. we finally get it all together and, and uh, out 
out to the press. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. So with that, thank you for joining us tonight, Tim. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And this is the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Comics Anthology. I am Kat Cloco. We also have Christina Wald in the shadows producing. You can find more information about our Kickstarter for the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Anthology. We're hoping volume one um, at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities on Insta or Instagram and also at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter. See you around. Happy hauntings. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It's Kat here along with Christina and Jen. And we had a wonderful talk with Monica and learned a lot about our spirit animals that are around us, comforting us, just being all out good sports during this extremely trying time of 2020. Speaking of things happening in 2020, how is our Kickstarter doing, Christina? Well, we had said last week we were almost funded and we now are funded. Yes. So, uh, of course, uh, by our next show, uh, the Kickstarter will be over. November 2nd is the final day to pledge by 10 a.m. We're oh. doing a special live draw event on Halloween, the 31st on Saturday. So aren't you kicking it off, Kat? It's... I am on Facebook Live. Yes. Yes. And then... What time? Uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we I'll start drawing. I'll probably take suggestions from the live chat as to what to draw, and I'll try to draw as many things as possible. I like drawing monsters. Massive hint. <laughs> and I'll probably do some sort of creepy watercolor. I don't know. I, I probably will take an initial suggestion, but I'll probably only work on one. You know what's a creepy watercolor? It's when your line art bleeds. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's um, a massacre. <laughs> yes. Well, we're gonna have we're going to go with the full Bob Ross and have lots of happy little accidents. <laughs> but uh, our Kickstarter is now at uh, six thousand five hundred sixty-one. So we're hoping we can get to that stretch goal of seven thousand dollars, where we will add the pinups, which uh, we've been showing around on social media of regional cryptids. Uh, yes. including four local Cincinnati artists, including Kevin Necessary, who's our political cartoonist for the Inquirer. Anthony, He's won a Pulitzer Prize. He has. And Anthony Tank Mansfield, Jamie Filer, and Lauren Sparks. And so it's a great group of cryptid prints. And I think it'll be great in the book too. And then if we get to our $8,000 stretch goal, we're going to reveal a very interesting local cover artist that's going to be doing the cover for issue two yes and i'm very excited about that i'm hoping i'm hoping we get to yes. that level we're still taking pledges uh we're extremely excited that we made our goal and grateful for that uh now it's stretch goal time and as with every kickstarter it's plateaued a little bit but we're hoping to get a little bit of a excitement at the end which often kickstarters do kind of have a flurry of activity at the end yeah. but the book's going to look great um and we're already thinking about issue two and thinking about exciting stories i have no problem looking up more stories for everyone i know i, I, I love doing that's my favorite part of the job is finding ghost stories and urban legends to share 
Yeah, you can find our Kickstarter at kickstarter.com. Search for the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. We are not only a project we love, but a featured project on Kickstarter. So back it today. So and now, now, all the weird stuff we found this week. Yes. So who wants to go first? Christina. The first thing I saw this week was, um, you know, again, cruising mysteriousuniverse.org was a possessed doll cries real tears at haunted bar. A lot of these <laughs> stories, you don't even need to read the story. I mean, just possessed doll cry. I mean, that's almost like a random headline generator of haunted and spooky stuff. Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and it says an incredibly, incredibly creepy looking doll that is said to be possessed by demons began crying freshwater tears after it was bought by an allegedly haunted bar in Wrexham, North Wales. I don't know if I pronounced that right or wrong, but he said that we'll the doll, hear. We'll find out. <laughs> he, he said that the doll, which is kept in a box with paranormal equipment, became very upset while at the bar. In fact, she was so upset that her tear stains have permanently been left on her face. So recently, Annie started crying for no reason. She has real tears. The creepy doll story. This is our Halloween episode. I thought it was a great weird thing this week. She's crying because the Reds didn't make the World Series. <laughs> I know it. She's not even every year. Actually, every year. speaking of creepy dolls, the Newkirks have a couple creepy dolls in their collection, I believe. And then if you also want to see more creepy dolls around Cincinnati, there's a ventriloquism museum. Oh, yeah. Those things are. There's a what now? Ventriloquism yeah, yeah. Museum is that in Northern Kentucky, Jen? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can see it by appointment. Is it New New Haven? So I know I know people that I have can't remember. Mm-hmm. We've talked about doing a sketching thing there. Mm-mm. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're, no. they're creepy. Mm-mm. Yeah, I know people that are very terrified of dolls. Oh, I had an American Girl doll that I was convinced was possessed when I was a teenager. You I know, got. Her. I totally could believe that. She used to move on her own and everything. Although I'm not convinced my friend at the time was moving her just to scare me, but I don't know. I really thought she was going to eat me one day. So I gave her to my niece. So in the, in the, in the paranormal world, why is it so many people think dolls are possessed? Is it just because it's almost a making a golem or some sort of token? Yeah. I think there's a bit of that. Um, I know there's a, different doll possession stories from all around the world throughout time immortal um i think you have a likeness of a human and that can creep people out that uncanny valley bit even if it's a doll it doesn't have to be just animation um for that um but yeah kind of creating totems or golems uh can be it it it, I know dolls get used for spirit possession. There are lots of Japanese ghost stories. I don't know about Korea or China, but about like house spirits, if you give them a host doll, they will, in a particularly haunted location, the spirits of the house will actually reside within the doll and walk around. And the doll's about two feet uh, tall. And there was a time in Japanese history where it was really popular to have these little spirit dolls in your house for your house spirit to reside in and you'd talk to it and stuff like that and little offerings dress them up 
I was listening to that lore episode where they talked about the haunted dolls. Do you guys remember that one? I have not listened to that and, one. And I was listening to it and it was I was by myself. It was late at night and it was a really scary story. And all of a sudden I felt something on my shoulder and it was my cat reaching up and touching my shoulder with his paw. And I about leapt out of my skin. I think my yeah, cat was pranking me. <laughs> yeah, it, like there's Robert the doll who's Florida's most haunted object i think that might have been what he was talking about yeah robert the doll's story is scary on multiple levels not just the paranormal but also just relationship wise and all that so uh but yeah there's is that the doll that uh if you're mean to it or if you don't ask its permission it will kill you or something Well, there's several like that. Okay. But Robert is the one that has the head that looks like a rotting potato. And he's in Key West, Florida. Because he's not okay. aging well. And then there's the actual Annabelle doll, which is an old Raggedy Ann, which mm-hmm. has been known to cause accidents and death if you touch her. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are probably the two most well-known american haunted dolls and then you have haunted dolls all over the rest of the world so so it is a very common trope. it's a very common motif in uh, ghost stories folklore and even true paranormal experiences and why i think we'll need a psychologist on to talk about why yeah so who next uh cat jen (laughs) i'll go so (laughs) mine doesn't really have an article associated with it i did find one later but speaking of creepy things that can give you curses if you touch them i stumbled upon the rabbit hole which is the haunted doryodo in uh in japan in tokyo western tokyo and uh this place is located, it's actually ruins now, and it's re- located in Hachioji, which is the west side of Tokyo. And it's not a place I've had the opportunity to visit, but now it's on my bookmark list for the next trip. So Doryodo was a Meiji era, so looking at late Victorian era, Buddhist temple that was built along what was called the Silk Road, which was a trading road. And it had... New- It was pretty popular as a merchant temple to visit, but after trains, planes, and automobiles became far more prevalent as modes of transportation in Japan, this, the Silk Road kind of died down and visits to this particular temple lessened. And I found out about it and it's just crazy. So basically it has a number of different urban legends associated with this temple and the ruins. The first one being in 1963, a temple worker uh, was murdered and the temple offerings were robbed from her and she was just left there to die, which is pretty bad to happen at a, any place of worship, especially to have somebody who was a core member of the people keeping it afloat and then 10 years later there is a urban legend because i can't find anything to support this case as well as the woman who was murdered there um a co-ed at a local 
university was murdered by her lover who was a professor and the professor had a wife with two kids so the perf- the co-ed became pregnant with his child he didn't like that murdered her buried her in a shallow grave in the forest around the temple and would come around periodically to check on it to make sure it wasn't disturbed and when he talked to his faculty uh fellow faculty members about hey just in case the police ever ask i was with you on this particular day they started getting really suspicious about what he was doing he got nervous and somehow uh he and his family were found dead in the river not long afterwards so he his wife and his two young children and he was under 40 years old when this happened so scary her body was found and um she was i'm going to assume given a proper burial but the other thing talking about haunted dolls is that there is a haunted jizel at this particular location so jizel is a small buddha and there's different types and they are usually wearing a red bib or some type of red cloth around them so if you go to a buddhist temple you'll see many 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 of them and they all represent different things the two most popular being protection against traffic accidents and protection against uh children dying or praying for the souls of children who have died so you'll see them in cemeteries and at crosswalks and stuff if there's been a fatal accident at a crosswalk or at a location you'll find them there and just what's interesting about this and it goes back to where robert the doll is that there's supposed to be a headless jesel statue protecting people against traffic accidents except for if you touch the rolling head and the head rolls around the property if you touch the head or touch the body you're going to die in a traffic accident that's the curse and there there have been i read the manuscript for a japanese um paranormal reality show where a group of cameramen and their production their director field field producer went out trying to find this headless buddha statue and they instead freaked themselves out and found like a shadow man darting around them in the forest and the shadow man is my interpretation they kept saying it was like a shadow like person darting around them so it freaked them out and the reason why i got into this is because i am a fan of a show called midnight diner on netflix and it's it's a uh, shinya shokudo if you watch in japanese and they had an entire episode dedicated to this co-ed murder ghost story and it just sparked my interesting so that interest so that's that that's That's my weird thing i ran into and it's a huge rabbit hole of just urban ghost stories in japan and modern contemporary ones Mm -hmm. um in 1983 the place caught on fire burnt to the ground and you can just see the stone pave markings where everything was but there aren't any buildings anymore so if you want to go you can visit the ruins you can see them on google earth or sorry google maps uh just look for otsukuyama park otsukuyama koen in hatioji it's also part of the this is a really long name (laughs) kita no dai donoshita park so it's really long name so it's within 
Otsukuyama is within the other park in Hatioji, Tokyo, Japan. All right. Japanese. Hey, Scotia got the gimas yo. I know. That's awesome. Nankai mo Nagoya de Sunde Mashkara. So I used to live in Nagoya. (laughs) Yeah. I used to live in Nagoya many years ago. So I do speak Japanese fluently. My formal training is actually in translation. Okay. So a lot of my resources for looking this up were actually the Japanese urban legend sites. Oh, cool. And I translated it. That is cool. I I love the pictures too uh, that you have here. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to post them or not. I'm uh, not so sure. Yeah, people can search them. Yeah. We'll put links in the yeah. uh, show notes. Yeah. So, Jen, you have freaky cats. Yeah. So, uh, I found this video on Twitter of a family. They went on vacation for a few days and they had someone checking in on their cats every other day. But when they got home, the cats were acting really aggressive and were trying to get out of the house and they couldn't understand why. So, they went back and watched their surveillance videos that they have in the house. And they caught these poor cats looked terrified. One was sitting up on its hind legs, just looking around, you know, and then of course their eyes are glowing because it was at night and cameras and which just makes it even creepier. But in the video, you can see a shadow come across, I guess the hallway and into the room that one of the cats is in. And then you see a cat in the background at the end of the hallway, like, what's that? Kind of crept in, you know, when they're really kind of freaked out, they get low to the ground and they just kind of walk real slow. So this other cat is coming in and as the cat comes into the room, the door just slowly swings shut. There's no one, there's not a person in the room. There's not another cat in the room. Okay, I know you can fake videos. I'm not saying this is fake. Even if it were fake, it's still terrifying <laughs> to watch. But I mean, the family put it out in hopes to can someone please explain this to me? Because at the end of the video, it the camera just is it looks like it's pushed or it pans towards the wall and it stayed like that until they got home. So find just it, what watch happened. it. Yeah. Something happened. You clearly see a shadow walk into the room. It, yeah, I mm. watched it twice during okay. our break, and mm. uh, it was fascinating because I'm like, okay, this can be faked. In mm. fact, I've seen similar type videos which had been. But the interesting thing is the video camera is pointed at a mirror the entire right. time. So I'm like, well, if somebody was behind the mirror to move it around, it would be very obvious unless they manage it, unless they have production level video editing skills. Right. And I don't know the people that put this up. I mean, it took them, they, this was filmed December of 2019. They just released mm-hmm. it recently. Who mm-hmm. knows why, but it's an interesting, if it is visual effects, they're pretty well done. I felt bad mm-hmm. for the cats because they got locked in a room mm-hmm. and having previously owned cats, I know they don't like being locked in rooms for long periods of time. Not at all. And they let you know that they're not happy about that. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they, they have an, a day of just caterwauling. Just. Yeah. I would think if it was someone they knew, they wouldn't be as freaked out. You know, like if it was one of their owners. Yeah. 
I don't know. It was just, I mean, I can't debunk those things. I don't have the experience with it, but either way, it's a creepy. <laughs> Sorry. It was like paranormal activity for cats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I want to see a cat version of that movie. Good luck. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to our hometown haunt segment. This is the part of the episode where we read you your hometown ghost stories. If you would like to submit your own, you can at cincycuriosities at gmail.com. That's C-I-N-C-Y-C-U-R-I-O-S-I-T-I-E-S at gmail.com. There we go. Jen, will you please read us our first hometown haunt? Yes, this is from a, um, a friend of mine. She wanted to re- remain anonymous. Um, it's pretty long, so here we go. When I was a little girl, long before I knew what the word haunted meant, or even that such a word existed, strange things happened in the house where I grew up. At the time, I was too young to understand that the things happening in the house weren't normal. After all, the whole world is a mystery to a child of four. That's how old I was when my brother was born and I graduated from the ground floor nursery to a bedroom upstairs, just down the hall from my older sister, who had the larger of the two rooms. We weren't the only two inhabiting the upstairs I soon learned. I sometimes awoke to find an elderly man sitting at the edge of my bed, dressed in a heavy overcoat and fedora hat. He never spoke, but would acknowledge me with a nod before rising and shuffling out the door. Sometimes he'd wave at me before descending the stairs. When I asked mom about him, she told me I must have been dreaming. I knew I'd been awake. So when I next saw him, I asked him if I was dreaming. Dreaming. He shook his head and held a finger to his lips as if to say it was our secret. So stopped. So I stopped bugging mom for answers. I admit that I never felt afraid, even though sometimes all I could, could see of him was a shadow. I be, began referring to him as the shadow man. The shadow man was the only odd inhabitant of the house. Something more mischievous lurked in the basement. We'd get locked inside the basement bathroom, even though there was no lock on the door. The little electric train set would run by itself, and battery-powered toys would turn on without without prompting. The console record player would turn itself on, sometimes in the dead of night, and blast the Beatles or the Beach Boys or whatever happened to be on the turntable. Later, when there were no longer toys in the basement, the washer and dryer would run on their own. It happened so frequently that my parents took to unplugging the appliances whenever not in use. Even so, the washer would still fill with water, but it could no longer cycle through. When I was 10 years old, my sister married and moved away. I was excited to have the whole upstairs to myself and eagerly moved my record player and records into the empty room to host dances for my neighborhood friends. One day, my friend Michelle came over and we decided to put on an album called A Night in a Haunted House and act at the scenes described on the record. The record begins with a spooky voice inviting the listener into a haunted house. We pretended that the creaking door says, don't turn around, there may be something behind you. Michelle and I were in the middle of the room facing the door with a window behind us. As we began to slowly turn around, the window shade crashed down to the floor. We screamed and ran downstairs, trying our best to laugh laugh it off. When we finally got the nerve to go back up there, we discovered that the shade wasn't lying under the window. It was in the middle of the room, right where, right where, I'm sorry, right by where we, we were standing. I was frightened enough that I slept on the living room sofa for a few nights afterward. 
Eventually, though, I moved into the larger bedroom and my old room became a guest room. During winter break, I was lounging on my bed reading when I got the overwhelming sensation that someone was watching me. I got up and looked out the window, nobody there. I lay back down and picked up the book, but the feeling just wouldn't go away. I wondered if what I was sensing was the shadow man, but I didn't like thinking about him because now that I was old enough to understand the concept of ghosts, the idea of him being a ghost frightened me. After a little while, I put the book to one side and sat on the side of the bed and said out loud, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no such things as ghosts. No sooner had I uttered the words that a little figurine on a nearby shelf flew off and hit me on the forehead. It didn't fall. It flew as if it had been hurled at me. It, if it had simply fallen, it would have landed on the desk beneath. It had to arc out several feet in order to reach where I was sitting. Once again, I slept on the sofa for a few nights. The following summer, my cousin from Indiana came to stay with us while her parents were going through a divorce. I'd never mentioned the shadow man to her, so imagine my surprise when she came down, down for breakfast that first morning and asked mom about the old man she saw in the guest room. Mom dismissively told my cousin she was imagining things, but later I told her about my experiences with the channel man. Needless to say, my cousin no longer wanted to sleep in the guest bedroom and insisted she share my room. One morning after my cousin had made the bed and tidied up the room, we went down to the kitchen for breakfast and dad announced that he was taking us to Kings Island. My brother rounded up a friend to go and the five of us piled into the car and spent the whole day at the park. When we got home that night and had brushed our teeth and gotten, gotten our pajamas on, my cousin and I turned on the bedspread to discover nearly three dozen intact cicada shells sandwiched between the, bed sheet, the bedspreads and the sheets. My brother was blamed, although to this day he swears he had nothing to do with it. My brother was having his own share of weird occurrences in the house. There was a small television in his room that would turn on at full volume in the middle of the night. It malfunctioned so often that dad called out a TV repairman on at least three different occasions. Our Atari system also in my brother's bedroom would start by itself. He claimed that he woke up one night to see Pong playing, playing by itself. Dad's answer to the situation was to unplug the TV and game console every night. Not long after that, the knocking started. My cousin and I would be in my room listening to records and experimenting with makeup and hairstyles when we'd hear knocking on the wall. At first we accused my brother, but there were times we heard the knocking when he wasn't home. After my cousin went back home to Indiana and for years afterward, I continued to hear the knocking on the wall, like someone wrapping their knuckle, knuckles on a wooden door. I heard it in the mornings as I was getting ready for school, during the day when I was studying, listening to music or reading, and sometimes the knocking would wake me up in the middle of the night. Dad suggested it was a tree limb hitting the house, and he had all the trees around the house trimmed. The knocking continued. I complained about it so much that my, that my parents installed an intercom system in my room so that I could buzz them whenever the knocking started, so they could come upstairs and hear it from themselves. But the knocking always stopped just as my parents reached the top step. It was frustrating. And then I decided to knock back. In hindsight, maybe not such a good idea. I don't know Morse code and I ha and have no idea if that was what it was or not, but the knocking had some sort of pattern to it. I mim mimicked the pattern I'd heard and it knocked back, louder. 
That freaked me out and I stopped, but it didn't. The frequency of the knocking increased tenfold. Every time I was in the room, it would start up. I turned my music up, but could still hear the knocking. Each time I buzzed my parents to come upstairs, the knocking would cease just as they reached the top of the stairs. I began sleeping with headphones on. This was the late 1970s and headphones were gigantic. The knocking wall made me lose so much sleep that I finally decamped decamped to the trusty living room sofa for much of my senior year of high school. After graduation, I moved into my own place rather than take over my room. My brother opted to remain in his small small ground floor bedroom, so mine became yet another guest room. One afternoon, mom was carrying some bed linens upstairs and had heard, heard a thunderous crash in my old room. She dropped the laundry basket and ran to the room to discover that the mirrored tile on the wall had exploded. Shards of glass stuck in the opposite wall, the doors, the desk, the posters I'd left on the walls were in shreds. The ceiling looked as though someone had dragged a sharp clawed animal across it. My parents were certain that the house had suffered a freak lightning strike, even though it was not a stormy day. The insurance adjuster was mystified after his examination. In the corner where the, t- where the tiled wall, the knocking wall, and the ceiling met, the hole he found wasn't indicative of a lightning strike. The splinter wood was angled the wrong way, as if something inside the room had punched its way out. Years later, my brother and I learned that our parents had withheld certain information about our family home. Before they bought the house, it had been a convalescent home that got shut down after numerous health and safety violations. Mom told me the house was absolutely filthy when they bought it, which is why they got it so cheap. In order to clean it, they first had to empty it out. This included discarding a pickup truck's worth of empty wine bottles. Apparently, the proprietor kept the residence soused so they didn't care so much about the squalor. My parents discovered a secret room in the basement accessible only via a trap door in the floor of what became my dad's office. To this day, my siblings and I have never seen the secret room. Dad sealed it off and retiled the whole floor. Until they told us about it, we were unaware that the room or the trap door even existed. Upstairs, they learned of a secret passage between the bedroom closets. Dad drywalled both closets, but marked where the access points were in case they were ever needed. And yes, people died in the home. We may never know how many. The television repairman told my parents that his mother had died there. Someone else said their uncle, uncle passed away there. I began to scour old newspapers for information and found 16 deaths at the home between February 1954 and August 1955. That's as far as I've gotten in my research, but I'm sure I'll find more. The home closed in 1957. My mom still lives in the house. My brother moved back in with her after his divorce. For the past nine years, he has slept on the sofa every night because he doesn't want to sleep upstairs. Too haunted up there is what he told me. Wow, that's a story. I I really wonder what the trap doors were for. I know. I, I can't or believe they still live there. Yeah. The I, I'm wondering if the convalescent home, if that building was built originally as the home or if they mm-hmm. took over like an old mansion and those could have been bootlegging tunnels mm-hmm. slash mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. root cellar slash hidden booze closet. 
I was just going to say we could probably just end it here because that was a long story and we could save the other one for next week. So on that bombshell, everyone, this is our episode. So you can find us at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, and email us CincyCuriosities at gmail.com. Have a spooky night and have a happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Thanks for joining us. <laughs>